know. <laughs> but in our little podcast of Pick a Little, Talk a Little, you might say <laughs> that we talk about musicals every episode. It isn't easy. You may ask, why do you do that? I'll tell you. I don't know. That was groan worthy. Did you hear me groaning? All right. This is a musical theater podcast. It's called Pick a Little, Talk a Little. I'm your host. I'm Gabrielle Gazelowitz. You're my brother. You're Izzy Gazelowitz. Thank you for joining me. Yeah, I'm this week's co-host, Izzy Gazelowitz, your brother. What musical could we possibly be doing today? Um, well, based on your introduction, I would say we're here to talk about Carousel. I was like, now. I was, I was, uh-huh. Tradition. 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 I think it's time to open this podcast with a bombshell, which is that I like Filler on the Roof a lot, but for years... I chafed at the notion that I had to like Fiddler on the Roof as like a religious obligation. And so I've always had a complicated relationship with the musical. Um, I'm just going to put that out there at the beginning. Might be a little bit cynical at times, but deep in my heart, I love it. And that's why I'm here talking about it with you. Great. Well, so first of all, I will say that this is, things are a little bit different today. Um, This is... Part one, Fiddler is too huge of a musical. I know we've talked about, like, Oklahoma in one episode, but this musical, for reasons we will get into, is so huge that it needs to be two episodes. Uh, And the second episode will be our show's 20th episode. So this is our our two-parter celebration. So, Fiddler on the Roof... What year is it from? Uh, it was originally opened in 1964. Right, 1964. Music by Jerry Bach, lyrics by Sheldon Harnick. It's our first Harnick and Bach musical, I believe, on the podcast. Book by Joseph Stein. You know, it always has to say, based on the stories of Sholem Aleichem, fairly loosely. So we like to start by talking about uh, what what our relationship is personally with this musical. So, Will, I will say that between you, me, and our third sibling, all of us have been in productions of Fiddler on the Roof. That, that is true. I was in an all-Hebrew production in high school. I was Yenta Hashad Khan, uh, which is Hebrew for Yenta the Matchmaker. Our sister I... was the shadow to uh, Grandmother Tzaitl because the eighth grader who played Grandmother Tzaitl had terrible stage fright. So she needed someone to stand next to her and do the exact same part at the exact same time but not get her billing. I 100% forgot that that happened. <laughs> I was also in a middle school production of Filler on the Roof and I played the rabbi. I had a few lines, but I also got to be the rabbi in the dream sequence, which is pretty common, I think. Is, he, um, is there a proper blessing for Fiddler on the Roof? No. Anyway, <laughs> other than all being in Fiddler on the Roof, what else is our relationship to it? Well, we like listened to the tape all the time we were kids. We, Watch as a family, went to see a production on Broadway. For in, what, my like, bat mitzvah. For your bat mitzvah. For my bat mitzvah, like, oh, and it was oh, a bad God. production, but it's okay because I went to see it on Broadway for this production that just closed a week ago. Um, and that was a very good production. Izzy, Fiddler is like, Fiddler is a daily part of our home life with our parents. That's true. Yeah, it's kind of the part of the language of communication we use. Um, Yeah, absolutely. It's little things. Like when when our sister first got engaged, our parents called the groom-to-be's parents. And our father said, they gave each other a pledge. And so it's little anyway. things like Izzy, Izzy, describe in one quote our family's 
relationship to money. Money is the world's curse. May and the may Lord God strike, strike me with it. With and, it. Re- and may I and never, when I never, ever recover. Okay, fine. But that's why I always chafed a little bit. I always was a little bit like, you know what, fiddle around the roof, maybe it's overrated. Okay. Everybody I know is so, it's so like woven into the fabric of our lives. Like, come on. So I've seen this twice on Broadway. I've been in it once. I've seen yes. you in it. I've seen Razel in it. And I saw um, a frequent uh, co-host of this uh, podcast, Harrison. He played Perchick in a community production. I don't even know how to wrap my brain around the importance of this musical. And because to American Jews in the 1960s, it was, oh, my God, we're seeing our experience on stage. But then it just kept being regurgitated back and forth up until the point that I don't know what's authentic, traditional Yiddish culture and what's been filtered to us through Fiddler on the Roof. Like, the, but I, isn't that a little bit sad? It totally like, isn't there is something sad. about that that's a little bit like, oh man, I wish it hasn't hadn't like replaced a sort of historical memory about like for Ashkenazi Jews of life in the shtetl with just fiddler on the roof whole cloth. Well, well, Whatever. It, it's fascinating because the people who created this show, even though they were closer to the shtetl than we were, I, I don't think Bakker Harnick speak Yiddish. Um, I yeah. don't know if Joseph Stein is. Jerry Robbins, who directed and choreographed the original production, actually went to Israel a couple of years later and directed the first Yiddish language production of the show there, which I have the vinyl for. Um, but there's this sort hmm. of... Like, um, can I actually add one? Um, so I recently, and don't laugh, I recently went to a lecture about the history of the Jewish deli. And, okay, and one of the things that, that, that this uh, professor pointed out was that the deli, the Jewish deli in its modern form started basically in the theater district. It was a place for all the Jews who were basically, were at every level of Broadway. They could go and they could gather and they could feel Jewish together. Like, I'm talking about like Lindy's, right? The, the Jewish deli was already a step removed right, from, like, the Yiddish theater district. It was a place for people who were already somewhat assimilated, who were making these Broadway musicals, who were felt deeply Jewish, but, as, like, the, the musicals had no Jewish content or no overt Jewish content. They could gather and they could feel Jewish. And so you're right that, like, in 1964, when this musical came out, I feel like it was, like, the first time that, like, Jews who've been working on Broadway for decades were like, okay, here you go, here it is, here is, like, unfiltered Judaism coming at you through Broadway. Get ready for it. It's going to be the longest-running show on Broadway until Greece... God, was it yeah. Greece that toppled this show? Yeah. Can you believe that? Freaking Greece. Okay. And also, like, we're not going to talk too much about actors, especially when it comes to Tevya. But, like, this was Bette Midler's first Broadway show. Our show begins. Izzy, what do we hear? We hear the sound of a fiddle coming from a fiddler on a Okay, so our curtain opens. Let me describe the plot right now. Schmaltz, 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 schmaltz. All right, so the show begins with the sound of a fiddle being played by a fiddler sitting on a roof, or maybe just a fiddler in the pit of the orchestra, and then we pretend there's a fiddler on a roof. That can happen, too. Your budget may vary. Uh, And we see standing on stage, sort of a la Oklahoma, one person enter the stage and here's our protagonist, and let's take a minute to get to know him. And it's Tevya. Tevya the Milkman. And whoever uh, your favorite actor for Tevya is, you're wrong. Well, it's Zero Mustel, right? So Zero Mustel was the first one on Broadway. 
And it's also other yeah. important Tevias have been Herschel Bernardi, Topol in the film. Theodore Bacal. Theodore Bacal, right? Leonard Nimoy. Leonard Nimoy? Yeah, apparently Leonard Nimoy played Tevia in a production of Fiddle on the Roof, according to YiddishBookCenter.org. I trust Yiddish Book Center. Uh, we've also on Broadway more recently had Alfred Molina, Danny Burstein in this current production that just okay. closed. So Tevya comes out and um, one of the amazing things about Joseph Stein's book writing was the original Tevya, the stories by Shalom Aleichem, um, are sort of epistolary and are Tevya writing to the narrator. So our Tevya is going to speak to people who aren't there a lot. So sometimes in addition to addressing other characters, Tevya will either be addressing the audience or in a really brilliant conceit be talking directly to God. He's always kind of just hovering like over the balcony of the audience. Like because of Fiddler on the Roof, I think of God as being like stage left. Let's move on, shall we? So Tevya comes out and so my our father has asked us, is this musical actually good or do we see it as good? And that is the eternal question. I insist it is good. And one of the reasons it is good is because it is one of the most quotable musicals of all time. I think even in a vacuum, because even mm. moments even moments of character building and exposition are laden with such Jewish warmth and humor. And, it's very and, quippy in a way that I, yeah. In a way that I think, but that I think stays sincere and is wonderful. Because, right. you know, he comes out and he says the name of his show and then he goes, sounds crazy, no? Is that like literally those first two sentences are, are almost all we need to know. Anyway, Tevya makes us monologues throughout the first song that I'm not going to sing. Tradition. Great. Uh, tradition is about the traditional gender roles that are the... But it's, it's not Sounds just about gender roles. It's about, it's about society that is structured, that everyone has their specific place. And while gender has a lot to do with it, it then gets more specific of like, even the beggar has his specific role in society and he's like a special person. Everyone knows who he is. Uh, and of course, there's Yenta, the matchmaker, who's the matchmaker. There's the rabbi. Anyway, yeah, we're introduced to all the various uh, characters in, in the village of Anatevka in this shtetl in early 20th century Russia? It's supposed to be about 1905. And for example, we do have the four broad groups based on age and gender, so therefore familial role, and they layer over each other. Each of them is like very structured and rhythmic. And then when they go over each other, it's 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 brilliant because individually each of them seem very simple. And when you hear all of them at once, it would be overwhelming, but because they've just been laid out for us, it sounds really ordered and like oh we now know what's going on and they know exactly what's going on and even though life doesn't move at a breakneck pace in this town there's a lot of nuance to it whether you're a papa or a mama or a son or a daughter as it were i i have to say that what i find really fascinating about this is like a jewish cultural touchstone is that it's not a story about jewish life in the shtetl in Eastern Europe in the early 20th century. It's about the, it's sort of about the end of that world, which is sort of kind of odd that it, that's become this touchstone for what this world was like when basic, basically one of the major themes of the show is these traditional roles and this traditional society breaking down in a lot of ways. Well, because the 20th century Jews who were able to afford and go see this show only want to be nostalgic up to a point. Yeah, I guess that's true. And it's really particularly fascinating when this is performed in like religious or especially in like orthodox like, settings like, because it's basically about looking back at that at that world through amber 
right? As sort of like a dead world that we can look back on and see how it slowly came apart. And then everyone came to America where everything is wonderful. Like I can take the schmaltz, right? I do think it's a great musical, but like that narrative is one that I find like deeply upsetting and challenging. It, like, it is difficult. That's why um, seeing Harrison in the community production, which was arguably the most orthodox one of all the ones I've seen, but there was something kind of contemporary and authentic about it in a way that was really refreshing. Like in various productions, mm. whether or not characters kiss the mezuzah when they walk through the door, which in, in Jewish homes is something that some people do. The more traditionally observant you are, the more likely that is to be a regular practice. And there was something so unforced and beautiful about seeing that on stage, about seeing all of these actors go and kiss mezuzah when they walked in and out of doors because it's something they'd be doing anyway. That brings back a way that the show falls short, which is that in the production that I was in, in my Jewish middle school, and in this Orthodox production we saw, what they often do to change the text of the musical is to take the anglicized versions of these Yiddish and Jewish concepts and turn them back to their roots. So he talks a lot about Sabbath, right? right? In the production I was in in middle school, we said Shabbat. Like, I find that to be kind of weird and inauthentic. Inauthentic Um, to say Shabbos? No, 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 to say Sabbath. Oh, yes, I agree with you. That when they have to say Sabbath in this musical, the the places where they draw the line in terms of, for example, making non-Jewish audiences comfortable is, I think, what was happening. Listen, but I don't think that's what it was. I think the writers themselves already had a certain degree of distance. But no, no. any Jew you know, even a fully assimilated Jewish person, if they're going to be talking about Shabbat, they are not calling it the Sabbath, except if they are explaining it to a non-Jewish person. Anyway, so also Tevya in this song explains their relationship with the non-Jews of Anatevka, the village, the shtetl they're in, and that it is tense but okay. And he does say the key line, we don't bother them, and so far they don't bother us, which, you know, Ooh, foreshadowing. We briefly leave Tevya, and we go to his home, and we meet his family. Uh, name all five of his daughters in age order really fast. Don't worry about the ones in the stories that got cut out of the musical. Title Huddle Chava. Sprintzabilka, come on, man. Um, Tevya's wife is Golda, who, I, if I could redo this musical once, I would love to see this musical written from Golda's perspective. Because I'm- she is, in some ways, kind of the stereotype of the nagging wife. Yes, which was an invention of the musical and not from the Shalom Aleichem stories. But she's also a brilliant, strong depending on how you're directing it and who's playing her interesting character. And everything that Tevya goes through that we hear and feel what he's going through, she's going through the same experiences and we only really see how she's taking them diluted through Tevya. So I would love to have her turn to God in monologue, you know? Yeah. Well, unfortunately, we don't get that. But what we do get is a little bit of backstory about what's going on. They're preparing for Shabbos, the Sabbath, Sabbath. and Genta comes over to tell Golda that she has found a match for her oldest daughter, Seitzel. Who's 19 and years is, old and like over the hill. And he is, and I kid you not, people who don't know the show very well, named Laser Wolf, which as a child I found to be hilarious. Laser Wolf is like what I want to put on my custom van. Uh, Laser is short for um, Eliezer, I believe, oh, right? Wait, we know an Ellie Wolf. Yeah, Yenta, who is a matchmaker and also a busybody, and she's hilarious, and she is arranging for the marriage of Seidel, who is 19, 
to this adult widower, Laser. He's a rich man in town. And Golda is over the moon thrilled because they're a family that's so poor that they're not going to be able to do with a dowry. And Laser just likes Saitl and is totally fine for her as is. And she's going to be taking care of the rest of her life. And Golda's really excited. Fun fact for people who don't know. The name Yenta is, in fact, very apt because it, the connotation is a busybody. So it's great. A Yenta is a gossip and they named the character Yenta, which was a joke for Jewish audiences. So uh, Zeitel is apprehensive about Yenta showing up because she is in love with her best friend, the Taylor Muttle Comsoil. Yes. I love you, yes. and I'm glad I'm doing this episode with you. But the one thing where I kind of wish I was uh, doing this episode with our sister is so we could argue about the various sexiness of the various matches. Mm-hmm. Because, like, Razel and I were always sort of like, do you want a muttle or a perchick? Because Razel always was like, I want a perchick, and I was always like, I want a muttle. So Muttle is hanging around waiting and the matchmaker is talking to the mom, etc. And all five daughters, this is one of the only times that Prince and Bielka do anything in this musical and serve any purpose. And it's like all the girls sing Matchmaker, Matchmaker. It's a great song. It's a great song. It's a lovely song. By the way, fun fact about Matchmaker, Matchmaker. When I was a kid, I didn't understand the line where it was like, Playing with matches, a girl can get burned because that one I didn't get for a while. No, not that part, Gabriella. The part, part about all, about spousal Second abuse. Of all, yes, the part about spousal abuse. So in in the song, they are discussing their anxieties over the fact that they are all one day. The plan is going to be in arranged marriages. Right. Well, I know initially the four are excited, except for Title because she knows because she's, she's going to be in this arranged marriage. By the way, one thing the show is very good about, just so I can be a little more positive. Um, this song is a great way to express how the characters feel without saying it outright. Like, we get, like, a great sense of, like, how Seidel feels about this whole matchmaking process because of how she feels about Muddle, how the rest of the family feels about it. And um, the girls start the song on a different note than they began it. Right, because initially, Huddle and Kava are incredibly excited about the prospect of a match, and then Seidel, because she is... Not excited, basically scares them out of it. Plus, considering that we have a lot of characters to get to know well, this song is a really quick way of getting to know the daughters. Like, for example, Tzaitl says, Chava, since when did you have your eye on your match? I thought you only had your eye on your books. And so now we know, like, Chava's the nerdy one. Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, we get Matchmaker Matchmaker. And then Tevya is off delivering his milk. And one of the running sort of physical comedy bits in Fit on the Roof is that uh, Tevia is always pulling his milk cart by himself because his horse is sick. So you always see him like struggling with this heavy cart, which is supposed to be pulled by a horse, that he just kind of pulls around and sort of sighs. Which is brilliant. Speaks to the heavens. Like, why? Yeah, it's, it's a yeah. great image. In the movie, um, you see the horse. Um, and this is the first time that we see Tevia have a conversation with God. Yes. It, it, even though they're always monologues, they almost feel like a two-way conversation. Like, God feels like a character in this show. So so Tevya stops at home, and he sings If I Were a Rich Man. Right. If I Were a Rich Man is a fantastic song. Classic, great, musical theater, I want song. Tevya gets up because oh, he has this whole vision so of what life would be like if you were rich. And, like, a lot of it is about all these, like, material things. But he, like, he's so poor he doesn't even, like, know. So he, like, talks about, like, having one only up staircase and one only down staircase. And it's silly and it's funny. Then, of course, it ends with 
what he really would do if he was rich is he would have more opportunity to pray and to study. And so that really he's like a deeply spiritual person and he has a conflicted relationship to, as we said earlier, money is the world's curse. And may God strike me with it, and may I never recover. Well, he says such, such beautiful lines, like funny little, like, it's no shame to be poor, but it's no great honor either. Like, if you haven't fallen in love with Tevia by this song, by the end of the song, I don't know what's wrong with you if you haven't. I almost put the Nigun parts as my favorite lyric. I didn't. So a Nigun is a wordless melody in Jewish tradition that you say, for example, like, Nine and a nine, 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 over and over again. And so his his, diddle, 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 digga, digga, diddle, diddle, dumb. <laughs> oh gosh! I just By the that way. is I read I just read for, exactly based on how it's spelled. You, so at the end yeah. of the song, Tevya is finishing up his Shabbat orders, his orders for the Sabbath, and all the old Jewish men are sitting around and gossiping and kibitzing, and then Perchik shows up. Um, hey, Izzy. Is Perchik the sexiest character in musical theater or the sexiest character in any media ever? Uh, no. <laughs> See, this is why I need Razel here for a second opinion. Man, there is so much I could do right now in terms of psychoanalysis. I'm not going to touch it. In any event, um, Perchik is a radical. Speaking about the show being about the end of shadow life, the sort of looming thing going on is the Haskalah, which is the word used in Hebrew to refer to the how the Enlightenment affected um, Jewish communities across Europe. And so he is this radical dude who comes in eating a gogurt. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> he is this radical dude who comes in riding a skateboard with his hat backwards uh, to shake up their traditional life with his radical Marxist thought. Jokes about Perchik aside, I feel like if there is one character in this musical that has been misunderstood by too many directors, it's Perchik, because it takes some understanding of Jewish history at the time that the show doesn't explain the way it does with other things. Like, people don't know necessarily to treat him as orthodox, or, or not, or, you know, like, how does he dress? Does he wear a kippah like the others? Where is he coming from? Like, also, I mean, he talks about changing the world in very vague terms, to be fair. Yeah, I always saw him as kind of, like, on the edge, as, like, as Jewish society in Europe is changing, he's someone who's kind of straddling both worlds. Like, still grounded in, yeah. They're talking about their money problems, and he comes in and is like, did you know that your money problems are systemic do you want to talk about dialectical materialism that's kind of what he does do you want to read this book i have it's called the communist manifesto no it's always it's okay it's all a lot as you said it's all a lot vaguer than that he just talks vaguely about changing the world if we're being honest here this apparently is that i read on wikipedia that zero mustel did not get along with the director slash choreographer jerome robbins he testified in front of Huac, and Zero Mustel did not, and was blacklisted. <laughs> but um, I'm no. Also, I will say for our family, if there's a character other than Tevia we quote the most, it's Perchik, hands down. Right. Even though, like you said, perhaps because of the sort of like fear of Jews in the 1960s to connect Wait. to or think about their 
radical heritage, all of his political stuff is incredibly vague. Yes, if you're a 1964 a New York Jew who's done well for yourself and can afford to go see a Broadway show and go to see Fiddler, what do you think of Perchik? He's a comical figure. It's weird. He's, he's kind of a clownish figure. He's kind of silly, right? But it's weird because the show proves that, like, there is something systemic keeping these people down. Perchik is kind of proven right, and it's just kind of, like, glossed over. I think part of it also has to do with the fact that, like, if they tie him in explicitly to the Russian Revolution, then you have to think all about, like, the way the revolution eventually ended up going and the role of Jews in it. And I don't think they want to touch any of that. So they just keep it as vague as possible, for better or for worse. So Perchik comes in talking a big talk about, you know, the bosses and, and money being the world's curse and et cetera, et cetera. And the men dismiss him. But Tevya invites him into, the, into his home for the Sabbath. This is a fascinating. So this is a fascinating thing about Tevya. Tevya also asks Perchik because Tevya loves traditional learning, and even though he has daughters who are not traditionally educated, he's willing to let this man, this weirdo man that he just met, educate his daughters. Even though he's poor, they do a food for lessons thing, and so Tevya, who insists he's a traditionalist, this is the first time that we see that Tevya is open to change in a way a lot of other people in Antevka are not. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of kind of the central irony of the show. And maybe it's thematic point, but it's kind of a dark thematic point, is that Tevya is more open, deeply spiritual. He, like, talks directly to God, but he, like, doesn't actually know very much. Like, all, all of his biblical quotes are made up. He's, he's, he's when not— When a poor man eats a chicken, one of them is sick. He's the most open to change, but then he's sort of, like— he keeps pushing himself beyond his own comfort zone. And then sort of the traditional society falls apart. And I'm not quite sure what it's saying about that. Well, the one thing I want to say now is every Jewish person who has ever seen this musical has looked at Tevya and been like, oh, yes, that's my whatever time, your grandfather, great-grandfather, which betrays a certain level of, like, narcissism. We, we don't know what happens to him in America. But the fact that he is in some ways very, very grounded and in some ways willing to compromise and give, if nothing else, shows that he's going to be okay. Which is, of course, we can talk about this later, but totally cuts against the Shalom Aleichem stories. So anyway, he invites Perchik into his home. And he, meanwhile, does not know about the match that uh, Yenta has set up between uh, Saito and the butcher, Laser Wolf. Uh, Golda tells him to go meet Laser Wolf, but does not tell him why. And Tevya agrees, and the family convenes for their Sabbath prayer. Yes. I like the song um, because I like literally every song in the musical, but if there was a song in the musical I didn't like, it might be this one. It has a nice melody. It's a little kind of, there's not so much going on. Is that they're trying to convey this very authentic moment of when everyone gathers to be with their families once a week, which is which I think is fair to say is authentic, but then the, the explicit content is completely made up. A few more plot points out of the way. You're right. He's right. He's right. They can't both be right. You know you what? Know You're what? right, You're too. also right. Tevya does not like Laser Wolf. Muscle is there uh, hanging around Saitel because they're in love. Oh, and, and it turns out they gave each other a pledge that they were going to get married, so now they need to right. move fast. So she's like, hey, ask my dad for my hand in marriage. And... Matzel is a coward, and he can't. 
Um, so maybe this is colored by the fact that I've always had a crush on Muttle, but I don't like that directors often play him really broadly and like a total pushover and therefore into the nebbishy Jewish stereotype when I think there's a lot going on with Muttle, considering that he's a supporting character in the show that transcends that. Yeah. Oh, and meanwhile, he, his sort of excuse is that he's waiting to ask Tevya until he can buy a sewing machine, which he's been saving money for, um, so that then he can sort of up his tailor game and then he can support uh, Zaitl and then Tevya will agree to let her marry him because then it will suddenly be socioeconomically viable as opposed to right now when Tevya sort of wants his daughters to marry rich so they can be, live comfortably and happily. Right. Oh boy, a lot going on. And then yeah, Sabbath H- prayer. Huttle meets done. Perchik and they exchange barbs because they have that sort of Beatrice Benedict thing going on a little bit. Um, so after the Sabbath, Tevya goes and talks to Laser. At the local inn. Yeah, they go to the local inn, which is run by a Jewish person, but frequented by both Jews and non-Jews, which was typical of the era. And this night that they're there, there's local uh, Russian peasants and everyone's kind of eyeing each other warily as they do. And Laser and Tevya, after a hilarious misunderstanding, uh, figure out what's going on with the uh, wedding proposal. And they make an agreement. And for the first time, we also see another conceit. And I don't know, they're so familiar to me that I love them all. The one where uh, the world freezes while Tevya monologues about what he should do. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That stuff's great. Um, And so he decides, yes, um, she should marry Laser, because yeah, sure, he's old, he's a widower. She'll be able to live comfortably. He's he's wealthy. And that's what push, that's what pushes him over is he doesn't really like Laser, and he's weird about the age gap. But ultimately, he says, "My daughter's never going to know hunger," and that's what makes him accept the match. Right. Um, and so then they sing to life. So okay, Lachaim is an amazing song. Yeah. Everything about it, from the lyrics to the part where the Russians interject. With their everyone's own a little congratulation. Scared. What? Right, but then they do a little dance. It's great. Everyone's a little nervous and scared at first when they get up. And they're just there to celebrate also. And with a combination together. of the fact that everyone's been drinking and that Tevya is willing to go one step further than the other men in the room, everyone ends up dancing together, which feels like an atypical moment. Yes. I mean, also, the fact that, like, this, that, like I keep saying, that this Jewish humor pervades the show, even in this celebratory fun song, there's great lines like, when good fortune favors two such men, it stands to reason we deserve it too. Yes. It's great. Uh, yeah. It's also just like a great little picture of like, well, someone has something to celebrate. Let's all celebrate. Let's Zava. all drink a little bit. Uh, how many languages Shastra are you going to butcher today? No, no, that's not right. <laughs> that's not right. Hey, Gabby. Yes, Izzy. What a warm, what a warm depiction of people singing and dancing and celebrating together. Despite their differences. How about we immediately undercut it? I oh, think that of course would we forgot to mention. a great thing to do. We forgot to mention earlier in the show that when Perchik intervenes in the conversation between the old men who are talking, they're not just talking about the monetary problems, they're talking about rumors that there are pogroms and violence breaking out in other places in the Pale of Settlement. Violence against Jews. From the and, local and, population. And that Jews have, are being exiled. Yes, and are being, in fact being forced to leave. And so then Tevya uh, is leaving the inn, and he runs into the local Russian constable, who he seems to have some kind of relationship with. 
Obviously not very not very warm, but they know each other. Well, no, that's that's the thing is that uh, they are. That's the weird thing about it is it is warm, even though the fact that there's this weird underlying hostility. Right. He's like, I like you, even though you're a Jew. Even though you're a Jewish dog. He calls him a Jewish dog. That's true. To which Tevye responds, "How often does a man get a compliment like that?" Because Tevye is one of the best characters in musical theater. Yeah, and the constable, because he likes Tevye, warns him. Oh, by the way, there is going to be a quote unofficial demonstration in up, the coming weeks. Up a grum. Right. It's a euphemism for a pogrom. It is a nice depiction of how a lot of this, that like, right, this man doesn't like Jews, um, and he claims that he's sympathetic to a community, but he doesn't have a choice. Like, violence is coming from sort of on high. Yeah, so, so um, the, mu- the musical doesn't get into depth about this stuff at all, and not enough to really pick apart in a way that's at all sophisticated, but there is interesting stuff it touches upon about violence and anger against minorities and scapegoating and people in the middle being complicit. So let's move on. So the next day, we get to see one of Perchik's lessons. Oh my god, in which Uh, he reinterprets a story in the Bible to be anti-capitalist. Therefore, the Bible teaches us uh, you must never trust an employer. Yeah. That's something we say Uh, in our household a lot, too. Right. And so then Huddle and Perchik get into a little argument about Marxism, I guess, sort of, vaguely. They're not arguing about Marxism. They're arguing about the town being afraid of change and stuck in the past and particularly uh, socially stagnated. For example, boys and girls can't be anywhere near each other. Right. While he's a city boy, he's been to the city. Born and raised in South Kiev. He knows that, that the world is changing, that... It hasn't reached this small town yet, but it will. And to prove to her, he dances with her. Ooh, there's a spark. And Tevya shows up super hungover, and he asks to speak to Tsaitl, and he announces yeah. to the family the news that she's going to be married. And Golda's super ecstatic, and everyone else is upset. Right. Tsaitl, of course, is incredibly upset. And then <laughs> Mutzel shows up, and this is my one of my favorite scenes in the show. Where he says, now hold on a minute, I have my own match for title. And it's him. Him? Um, Himself? Either you're completely out of your mind or you're crazy. And then Mutzel's like, okay, fine, but we gave each other a pledge that we, that we would be married. By the way, Golda is not here. So it's just Mutzel and Tevya talking, and Mutzel finally gets up the courage to tell Tevya that he wants to marry title. And they gave each other a pledge. He promises he will not let her starve, which hits Tevya right in the heart because that was the main reason why he thought she'd marry Laser Wolf. But seeing Muttle's commitment gives him another wonderful monologue where everything stops and he gets to sing about his internal conflict. And, and he does say one little time you pull out a prop and where does it stop, which is something that's going to be a recurring motif of... of Things are unraveling, and he knows that one of the reasons that they have all of the strictures that they have is because if you get rid of one, they could all come toppling down. But he's doing it anyway because next to his faith, the thing that defines Tevya most is his love for his family, his daughters in particular. Yeah. He decides to let them marry, and he freaks out because he has to somehow tell Golda this. And, okay, Izzy, Wonder of Wonders is... One of my favorite songs of all time. Oh, wow. Um, it's definitely one of my favorite songs in the musical. It is a great, great song. It's beautiful because, like I said, there's more to Muttle than him being 
slapsticky and goofy and awkward and cowardly. There's the fact that the song is laden with biblical imagery, which first of all, the organic way that he incorporates it into his own life and worldview is something that I think is capital A authentic and very beautiful. It reminds us that Tevye has just made the right decision because it's Tevye's priorities. And also it just beautifully expresses this celebratory moment that he's in where he's fe- where he mm-hmm. ca- overcame something that for him was so difficult that it feels like like the parting of the Red Sea. Yeah, that's what I love about this song is that because it's such a good song, like you could easily play it as a joke that he like finally got the courage to, you know, ask Tevye if he could marry his daughter and he acts like it's this tremendous miracle, but like it's so earnest that it kind of works anyway. It, it it doesn't feel like a joke. It feels like this very kind of like earnest, lovely song. And yeah, I love it too. So Muttel got what he wanted, but now Tevya still has Golda to reckon with. So the next scene is the scene that every five-year-old Jewish child is traumatized by because it's terrifying when you're five and arguably when you're older. So this is the, the dream sequence or the, the fake dream sequence. Basically, Tevya fakes a prophetic nightmare in order to convince Golda that actually, just kidding, Seidel should not marry Laser Wolf. And in fact, she should marry the tailor Muttel Kamsaro. Well, here's an interesting thing about capital A authentic Judaism, the fact that he has to stage this whole thing to convince his wife to do a certain thing. And it's an amazing dream that's super spooky and full of ghosts. And Golda's grandmother Seidel's ghost shows up Who to, title to, named first, after. to first nicely tell them that they should marry Muttel, and then the ghost of Frumacera. Frumacera is uh, Laser Wolf's uh, departed wife. Uh, Fruma, by the way, not being a name generally, but an honorific, like Reb Tevya, coming to threaten Titles' well-being if the marriage should go through. And then she screams a lot about how she can't have someone else wear her pearls. Pearls! Pearls! Yes. And Title is Golda's grandmother, who is, in fact, our title's namesake. So, yes, we know, by the way, that all Ashkenazi Jews have uh, certain inbreeding problems. It is never really addressed that Muttel was named for Grandma Seitel's uncle. So it's not important. I'm just pointing that out. Um, the song is a really good, fun, spooky number. Depending how you direct it, it can be really like a showstopper. The Broadway production that just happened was great. They had weird, giant papier-mâché heads and hands. Seidel manages to scare Golda into breaking up the uh, engagement to Laser Wolf and agreeing that Seidel should marry the tailor, Muttel. I'm sorry. We haven't got the man, Muzzle Tuff, Muzzle Tuff. We had when we began, Muzzle Tuff, Muzzle Tuff. But since your grandma came, she'll marry, what's his name? The tailor, Muzzle Tuff. Thank anyway, you, Anyway, am, am I even pronouncing his name properly? Muttel Kamsoil. Yeah, that's fine. We are saying it as right as any English language production has ever done. Right. So in any event, meanwhile, Tevya's third daughter, Chava, is hanging out in a bookstore. Uh, it's a bookstore, right? No, she's watching Muttel's shop while he's out being congratulated by people. Because right. the, news, the news in the town has spread that uh, the who's marrying Saitel has been switched. So, so Kava's in the store and some Russian peasants come in to harass her. Yeah, and then Fiedka, who's another Russian peasant, uh, steps in and is like, hey, stop that. And then Fiedka and Kava uh, talk a little bit and he lends her a book. Yeah. 
I'm sighing because not only is this complicated in terms of the show and in terms of our engagement with the show, but even in terms of the fact that, uh, for example, in the musical, Fiedka doesn't really have a personality, but just seems like a generally nice guy. And in the original Shalom Aleichem stories, he ends up being abusive. Listen, I don't really want to touch on this. We have to touch on it a little bit because the musical certainly does. Right. An uncomfortable depiction of the way that Jews and non-Jews relate to intermarriage. And I don't think it's uncomfortable because it's authentic. One of the most uncomfortable ways the show comes off as inauthentic. First of all, the show refuses to make a clear statement about intermarriage. I'm not saying it should, but also it's a time when that was a controversial thing as it remains to this day of, of what marrying out of the Jewish community uh, means. But then there's the fact that the show uh, takes I a don't. step back from making him into a villain, which is a smart thing to do, certainly, but is an interesting choice. To me, it's very clear that the relationship between Fiedka and Chava reflects the perspective of the creators of the show, which is, I want to preserve that it's a taboo for, this, for these people while also poking holes in the notion that it's like a bad thing. No, I think I think that was well said. Yeah. Um, and in the show, uh, we jump forward to the wedding. So speaking of, okay, if we want to talk about Fiddler on the Roof being overused in American Jewish circles, how many bar mitzvahs have you been to where a kid lights a candle on their 13 candle cake and family members like grandparents or great aunts come up while Sunrise Sunset plays? Yeah. This song is sort of like Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah, is the fact that you get sick of it because it's so overused, but it's a shame because it's a beautiful song. Oh, 100%. It's basically about life cycle events and the ways that, like, those kind of reflect sort of slow advance of time. Right, it's on the one so. hand, this is the shtetl, and it's a very culturally specific scene. On the other hand, the things that they are expressing in the song would be expressed not only in any time, but with a couple little lyrical tweaks in any culture. And I, I love in this song that Perchik and Huddle, who are destined to be together, are both watching these people in their lives get married and they think like, am I ever going to be there? Well, you know, you talk about this musical being being schmaltzy and maybe it is, but like sitting and watching this show next to my then fiance, now husband was legitimately a very emotional experience watching this scene. Yeah. Um, so anyway, then people dance with bottles on their heads. People dance with bottles on their heads, which is a Jewish thing. It's called It's shtick. true, it's real. Shtick originally refers to like doing funny stuff at someone's wedding. The Shtick at My Wedding uh, was a musical theater parody. It was Hamilton meets Music Man, because that kind of sums it up. So then everyone's dancing, and a fight breaks out because Laser Wolf gives a nice gift, but then he's like still kind of pissed that the agreement got broken, and everyone suddenly starts fighting. But then Perchick crosses the barrier between the men's section and the women's section and starts dancing with Huddle. And then... Everyone starts dancing with ladies. There's like a great scene with the rabbi. Yeah, I was going to say. the question? And Perchick says, it's no sin, ask the rabbi. And they go, well, rabbi? And the rabbi goes, well, it's not exactly forbidden, but... And Tevye's like, okay, it's not forbidden. And it's this sort of fascinating, you know, moment of, once again, things shifting a little bit. And it's not like this tradition they had was really, according to their own standards... Uh, law, but they regard all traditions the same way. The, yeah, that's the one thing I think is actually the most authentic and interesting about the show, 
is that notion. Hey, Gabi? Yes, Izzy? Do you remember that unofficial demonstration that the console was talking about? Oh, you mean like the not pogrom? Yeah, it's a pogrom, and it happens. It's a pogrom. There's a pogrom. The show, the first act of the show ends with a pogrom. Act one doesn't totally just end with the pogrom. It. The pogrom is brief, and it ends with everyone sort of shell-shocked and Tevya saying, what are we all standing around here for? Let's start cleaning up. And the curtain falls on everyone trying to set things back to rights, which, of course, they can't do. One notice, Perchik gets injured because he fights back. Yeah. Which I think is one of the, again, a great example of how it's sort of like that's one case where he sort of kind of goes beyond the sort of like cartoonish cliche stereotype of what a Marxist is like. Where like he actually does fight back. He's yeah. the only one to fight back. It's what I also love about the show is that it's like very character focused and character driven. And everybody's response to the program is different. And it sort of pervades the second act of the show. As the curtain falls, we leave you on this episode of Pick Little, Talk a Little to find out what happens uh, next episode. We'll talk more about the American Jewish experience. Rich, I'd have the time that I lack to sit in the synagogue and pray and maybe have a seat by the eastern wall. Thanks for listening to Pick a Little Talk a Little. We're online at PALTALpodcast.weebly.com. We're on Facebook at Pick a Little Talk a Little and Twitter at Paltal Podcast. As always, we are edited and produced by the incomparable Rachel Jacobs. She's at Twitter as WTFRJK. I am your host, Gabriella Gazelowitz. You can find me on Twitter, Gabby Gazelowitz, G A B Y G E S E L O W I T Z. Easy. Please rate us and review us. It really would mean a lot. Email us, paltalpodcast at gmail.com if you want to say hi. All right, thanks. And until next time. And as they say in Dogfight, goodbye to apple pies and chili fries and dinosaur. So long to Bubblegum, New Twilight Zones, and Leslie Gore. Farewell to Chevrolet, to Willie Mays, the corner store. I were a wealthy man. Yeah, so laser it's wolf. It's funnier if you if you emphasize the second word. Do it. Say laser wolf and then say laser wolf. <laughs> laser wolf. Laser wolf. Oh my god. <laughs>